Hey, are you trying to launch your own podcast? I get it. It can be confusing. There are so many questions you need to answer. What microphone to use, how to edit it, how to grow your audience, how to get it in front of the right people, how to monetize it. That list goes on and on. And that's why I created the PodSpark Academy. PodSpark Academy is my membership community. You can think of it like Netflix for podcast education. For a small monthly fee, you get access to all of my courses, all of my programs, all of my resources, and all of my knowledge on podcasting, how to launch it, how to grow it, how to monetize it, and how to change the world and build a movement using it. And the best part is you can sign up today for just $1. Yep, $1. To learn more, head over to podspark.co slash academy. That's podspark.co slash academy. I'll see you there. In this episode, I sit down with Mike Michalowicz to talk about Profit First, the pumpkin plan, and what any of that even means. Get excited, because this is Tiny Leaps, Big Changes. Welcome to another episode of Tiny Leaps, Big Changes, where I share simple strategies you can use to get more out of your life. My name is Greg Clunas, and in this episode, I am uh, uh, kind of honored to be sitting down with a gentleman that I kid you not, like there's no exaggeration here, uh, helped save my business last year. Um, We'll get into how he did that uh, without ever having met him before uh, yesterday. But uh, Mike is the entrepreneur behind three multi-million dollar companies and is the author of Profit First, The Pumpkin Plan, and what Business Week deemed the entrepreneurs called classic, the toilet paper entrepreneur. Uh, Mike is also the host of Entrepreneurship Elevated, which is a phenomenal show. Uh, I was just a guest on it yesterday. uh, We recorded on February 19th. And uh, when I tell you that this is a podcast that stands apart in the entrepreneurship space, it's kind of hard to wrap your head around what I mean until you go listen. So I highly recommend that you, uh, after you listen to this episode, do a quick search for Entrepreneurship Elevated and go listen. Uh, but over the years, Mike has helped. I mean, he can he can give us accurate numbers, I'm sure, but I'm, I'm positive it's thousands of business owners uh, crawl their way out of potentially going out of business to to thriving. And it's all based on the very simple, very straightforward methodologies that he used to build his own businesses. So without further ado, Mike Michalowicz, welcome to the show. Greg, thank you so much for having me. And uh, congratulations. You are a survivor. You made it through our podcast, which few guests do. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was definitely a, a, an interesting experience. I, I walked away <laughs> with uh, a little uh, pep in my step for the rest of the day. So it was fun to do. Um, so I'd like to start this show with what I consider to be the most interesting question. And uh, as I was doing some research for you uh, on your website at the bottom right, your website is MikeMichalowicz.com or MikeMotorboat.com, uh, Motorbike rather.com. On the bottom right, you have this little message that says, I hate this guy, get me <laughs> out of here. And I'm sure people have brought this up, but I, it, it, 
funny enough, I was I was on your site while we were recording yesterday. Yeah. And thankfully I had myself muted because I burst out laughing. <laughs> um, so when you click this link at the bottom right of his site, it takes you to an article by the American Psycho- Psychological Association <laughs> on controlling anger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I have to say, I've, I've never seen something like that, especially from uh, what I'm sure many people like you're, you're an entrepreneur, you're in the business space, you're teaching business, you're supposed to be buttoned up and have the suit and tie and sure. blah, blah, blah. Um, I would love to know two things. One, where does that come from? Uh, and two, as a follow up to that, uh, where do you see the balance between speaking on on what is life changing, very important topics and bringing out what is clearly sort of an ingrained silliness in in who you are? Yeah. So where that that anger management all stuff originated was uh, a realization that I had. I, I love to consume entrepreneurship books. I, I, I can't get enough of them. But I also found that many of them are pontificating. It's this very cerebral thing. And, and almost that the authors, not, not by design, but they're pandering to me. So as I was growing mm. my businesses and reading these books, it felt like this, I don't like the term guru or expert, but it felt like <laughs> people were, you know, I was just worthy enough to learn from them. And it, it was very frustrating. And I felt this internal resistance to what I was learning, even though it was some good stuff. I was resistant to doing it because I felt I was being pandered to. Right. I decided to become an author. It's it's been my life's calling, um, uh, and I really had the realization about ten years ago, and devoted my life to being a, f- a full time author for entrepreneurs, but committed never to pander. Um, I don't like the terms of looking up to someone, and I actually don't like the term of looking down to someone. Mm-hmm. I think that means. Like, Greg, if I ever said I look up to you, it also says that I see myself as insignificant in some way toward right. me. Uh, conversely, if I say I look down to you, I'm putting positioning myself as a superior. But the, I think what we should use is the term of looking over to each other. Everyone's on a journey. Everyone's on a path. We just have different experiences. And we should look over to each other to learn from each other. Yeah. So that's that's why I do what I do. In regards to the silliness it is inherently who I am. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also do put on a character when I'm on stage or when we did our podcast together, that is an amplification of certain elements of me. The reason is, is I want to disarm people from ever seeing me as a guru or expert um, and want to see me as real. Now, I also realize some people are repulsed by it. It's like, can this guy not be serious for 10 seconds? Um, <laughs> is he always a D bag? You know, like, and, that's, I realize that's the, the risk I'm taking, but I want people, cause I also know they're going to see me on maybe a, 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 listen to a podcast for five minutes and that's going to be their only exposure to me or see me on stage one time and that's it. Or maybe read mm-hmm. one book. I know I have one shot of saying, I'm not like everyone else. This is how I'm different. And if it resonates with you, we're going to, we're going to do this journey together. And if I don't, I get it. So that's why I play up those idiosyncrasies. So I love that. And uh, I, I want to dive further into uh, where you started with the the notion of looking up or looking down uh, to somebody. But very quickly, um, that quote unquote risk that, that you're taking, uh, and I'm, I'm positive I know the answer, but I, I want it because the audience doesn't, I, I want to hear you uh, go through it. Sure. Have you seen 
that it creates this dynamic in your your audience where you either have uh, the super fans who love everything about it or the person who hates everything about it but never the meh person. Yeah, yeah. There's very few mehs, and I know you know this answer. It, it, it's definitely a polarization. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, it builds two tribes. So when we put the most of ourselves out there, when we are emphatic in our belief system, play up our idiosyncrasies, I, I found that there is a community that says, finally, there's someone who's like me. There, there's there's this yeah. kind of crazy guy out there, and, and I'm goofy too. And so there's this community that says, finally, there's someone that stepped up and they feel empowered and more comfortable in their skin. They don't feel that they have to play a game and hide behind the expected norms. Conversely, uh, <laughs> and this is where you need to have tough skin, is there's a community that's, I mean, absolutely repulsed by me. I've been called, <laughs> I, I go on the uh, Amazon reviews. Uh, I've been called a uh, devil's, the devil's child. Uh, oh my gosh. Yeah. I, you know, and, and like, like these aggressive, hateful terms. But I also... I've come to realize it's painful to hear that, but I also realize from their position, they're right. I am not for them. And, um, I, I wish they'd be a little more gentle with me, but I get it. I get it. So I, I, I have, I don't have disdain for that. I, I respect that. understand that. And there's another community for them. And I hope that they found someone that's willing to step into their own idiosyncrasies that resonates with them. So, so I get it. It sucks, but I get it. Yeah. So I think I uh, I just found the title of this episode. It'll be uh, Mike McCallowicks on why he's the spawn of Satan. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes, we'll right here. Thank you. <laughs> All right. So let's 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 dive a little bit deeper into uh, the this idea of looking up and looking down, uh, because that is a, a new concept from uh, someone that, and, and I'm sure you're going to hate that I'm saying it, but I would see as a mentor from afar. Yeah. Um, there is, especially in entrepreneurship, this idea of, well, you need mentorship, you need coaches, you need uh, uh, people that sort of like, this sure. is the bar they've set and you're going to work towards uh, reaching that. Um how does that idea maybe conflict with the concept of looking over to, to somebody as opposed to up? I, I, so I use that, used to use that term of looking up to people regularly or down people admittedly, but shamefully. So I, you know, I walk by a homeless person on the street. I, I don't use the terms I look down to you, but I'm definitely avoiding it. That right. person. Um, here's what I realized what happened in my psychology, when I said I looked up to someone, it really was a position of envy. Meaning when someone was, well, I was looking up to it, they had something I didn't have, something I wanted to have, I aspired to have. And really it was the root of envy. So I would say, I want that and I admire you and you're wonderful. At the same time as saying, I suck, I don't have that, I can't have that, it's envy. And what envy caused for me, and I think for many of us, is a actually repulsion, a push away. It actually, I just said I could never be that person. So I actually compromised myself by being envious of others. Uh, often too, I would start having this, uh, I would try to bring them down. Instead of trying to elevate myself up, I pull them down. So maybe as envious as someone with lots of money, I'd say, oh, you mm-hmm. know, uh, I wish I was them. Um, I look up to them because they have so much money. And well, maybe they don't really deserve that money. You know what? It was probably it's probably a trust fund. You know what? No, no, no. They're dealing drugs. They are drug dealers. And <laughs> I would in my mind very quickly try to pull them down, which by pulling them down, I don't elevate myself. In fact, I start slipping down. 
pity is just as repulsive. Uh, when I avoid pity causes avoidance. I say, thank God I'm not the homeless person. Thank God it's not me. And I'm saying, I don't want to be them. So I pull myself away from them. It negates my growth and learning on both sides. Um, so now I believe I need to look over to people and, and I hope people will look over to me, not ever look down on me or look up toward me. Mm-hmm. Look over. And what look over means is I believe you and I, Greg, the entire world, we're on a circle of life. I think it's one line disconnected and you are on the line in a different position than me. But because it's a circle, you're neither in front or behind me. It depends mm-hmm. on my perspective. You're just in a different spot. Therefore, I have a lot to learn from you. You have a connection or a series of life experiences I've never had, never will have. But if I look over to you, I can glean from that. I can improve or enhance my experience by learning from you. And this is true for people that we look up to or look down upon. I believe we're all in the circle. We're all equal. It's just different life's experiences. So we all need to look over to each other. Yeah, I love that. And and the illustration, uh, well, let me ask you this. I, I know that you consider yourself an, an entrepreneur and an author. That, that's sort of how you've described yourself so far. Uh, would you also consider yourself a coach at all? Uh, so not necessarily. And, and, uh, I would consider myself now an author exclusively who happens to also own some businesses, which are, okay. I happen to, I wouldn't say coach cause I I'm not skilled in that. I've not been trained as a coach. Right. I, I do render advice and suggestions and share experience when people ask me, um, but don't have traditional coaching. Um, the reason I'm, I think this is important is I used to say that I'm an entrepreneur that happens to have written a few books and my focus was not on the books or being of service through books. It was about building my business. I, it was about 10 years ago. I had this realization saying I got to commit to being one thing. It's an author mm-hmm. and always lead with that. And, and if other things come out of it, that's great. But those are just side gigs. I'm an author. And by saying that, it forced me to elevate my behavior. I had to write books that I hope have been game changing and will continue to be. They became so important for me to live out what I believe to be my calling. Um, and books are the vehicle for it. So it's a nuance, but it's important to me and how I identify myself. So in the process of writing a book, how do you treat the um, uh, source material? So, for example, uh, one of your books, Profit First, uh, in in the beginning of that book, you talk uh, about this sort of moment you had at the, I believe, the the end of a previous business, beginning of a new business, um, where you just realized like this isn't working from a money management point right. of view. I suck at money is what we'll do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and that became the impetus for this system that, that created profit first. Yeah. Uh, but when you write your next book, because you're targeting entrepreneurs, but you are an author pro- uh, before an entrepreneur, like how do you get the source material? How do you get the, the information that creates the framework? So I will, first ask my readers. I've been blessed. Every book I've written has built a a larger readership. So even after I finished my first book, I had readers emailing me saying the the progress they were making and the challenges they were now facing. And that gave a realization I need to write this next book, which was happened to be the pumpkin plan. And I wrote that book and it, it triggered feedback that led to profit first. One thing I do in all my books is, uh, I encourage people to write me, to email me. And it's at the point now, it's, it's pretty voluminous. 
but it's so important to me. I, I will spend an hour or two a day, which I know sounds horrible to be spending an hour or two a day on email, specifically just responding and, and gauging readers. But that's what I do. But that mm -hmm. becomes my source. So um, the new book I'm writing on, it doesn't come out until next year, but in 2020. Um, I, I've seen this pattern now from enough people getting stuck in rushing to addressing apparent issues, but not tackling the impactful issues. Uh, a person I was actually interviewing today uh, said, oh yeah, I'm, I'm keep on sticking my finger in the, the holes, even though it's a dam. Like you're trying to plug up the holes in a dam with my finger and not addressing, you know, restructuring the dam. Right. Um, that's the first thing is I, I just follow my reader's journey and see where are they stuck now. But I also say, Am I, have I, or am I experiencing that? Because if I can't relate to it personally, I can't write about it. Um, and so therefore I don't. So every book I've written is not only just addressing what my readership says they're facing. It's also something I'm very intimately facing. I didn't know how to num hand handle numbers. I wrote profit first. I didn't have a business that run on, ran on automatic. So I wrote a book for that. And, uh, I am also have and continue to experience this trying to plug the holes in the dam as opposed to fix the dam problem. And that's why I'm uh, working on this next book. So it's kind of a, a unique position to be in because uh, as in order to fulfill your, your, your path as an author, it's almost a requirement to either keep building or keep running businesses. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I'm held accountable to it. I, Greg, I can't tell you how many people come to me now, uh, when I'm speaking or whatever and say, Hey man, uh, how's profit first going in your business? It, I I'm held so accountable mm -hmm. So every book I write. I'm sitting here saying, am I ready to live this way? Cause if I don't, I'm a fraud. Right. So, uh, I, I live all these methods and, um, it, it is, it's a wonderful, powerful experience. And it's the ultimate enforcement tool too. That's just a bonus that I get. Yeah, that's, that's very nice. Um, all right, so let's transition here to talk a little bit about uh, two books in particular. Uh, so Profit First, I've read uh, and and definitely want to to go deep on the methodologies there because it helped me so much and I know it can help a lot of listeners. Uh, but I also want to talk about the latest book, Clockwork, right? Mm. Um, and I haven't read that, but I basically want you to convince me as to why I should, uh, because I think that would be fun. Okay. Um, so so let's, let's talk Profit First. Uh, yeah first. So when I found this book, it was, I'm, I'm doing this thing where if a book is mentioned to me more than five times in whatever period of time, yeah. I have to read it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's been two books in the last year that sort of hit that requirement. Uh, the first was profit first around this time last year, actually. And the second was rocket fuel. Oh um, yeah. Do you know what an book? Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's really good. It's really um, good. <laughs> so with profit first, so my listeners know this, but just to give you a little bit of context, back in 2016, I left my full-time job for the first time to really attempt to make this happen. And that's when I launched this show. That's yeah. uh, at the time I was doing uh, freelance podcast production and, and building that business. And um, I was in this position where month over month was just cool. I made enough, paid rent, paid my student loans. Now I'm broke. Um, <laughs> and I yeah. can't hire any freelancers to help me. I can't like take the labor off so I can sell more. Like I can't do any of those things. By the end of the year, uh, the, the cycle that that created was October of 2016. I had three major clients back out at the same time for different reasons. And that 
killed the business. Like there's just, yeah. I didn't have enough cash reserves to, sure. to even make it through the year. And then it was like, cool, I got to get a job. Um, when I tried to do the same thing last year, April of 2018, which was the last time that I, I left a job, uh, there was this fear of the same thing's going to happen. Sure. Um, of course, like it, it, that, that's the experience I had. Uh, and for the first two or three months, the same thing was happening. Like it, it, I was charging more and I was solving the problems that I had in 2016, but there still just wasn't any cash in the business to work with. Uh, and after I read Profit First, and I'll be honest, I'm, as I'm sure many listeners were, super skeptical of <laughs> this idea of mm-hmm. what do you mean I can just take 10% and put it into right. a separate account? That doesn't make any sense. Um, but that the the idea behind it that you present is that when you make that shift and you take the money out first, your behaviors shift to to match the amount of money that is available. Right. Um, which is an idea that obviously is near and dear to to my heart with with tiny leaps. Yeah. So tell me a little bit of the backstory as to how you got to that. Uh, in in your own business and how you gained the confidence to to actually take the action before because it's easy for me to read the book and see oh all these people had results like I can get over the hump of trying it right you didn't have that so how right. did you make that shift yeah so it required that I have had a traumatic event I um I'd built and sold a couple companies uh, in my early by my early thirties and honestly became a big d bag uh, I was <laughs> full of myself I was. I thought I was the, I thought I was Midas. Anything I touch turns to gold, like a total tool and, um, started a third business, which is conveniently now off my resume, but it's the most important business. Uh, it was a angel investing fund. I I started Mm -hmm. 10 different businesses simultaneously because in my mind, I knew everything I had money. Uh, (laughs) you know, I can make this work. All those businesses failed, Greg, within, I think six, six months of starting them. All of them were under. I remember paying bills for businesses that didn't exist. And I complemented that arrogance uh, with also collecting trophies. You know, I got the big house. I got the cars. Uh, I took my family on a sabbatical to Hawaii on a private island. Oh, wow. Um, Yeah, just total dick. Like, that's the only definition. And... um, because it was because it was all out of arrogance. Like I, if I saw you in the street, I'd have to, you know, walk cockier and, and mm. show my stuff off. Like that was the mentality I, I took on. Well, it took me two years, and I evaporated all of my wealth, um, and got a call from my accountant. This I'll never forget the day. It was February fourteenth, two thousand eight. So um, you know, not too long. Ago. I mean, those ten years or, not, or eleven years ago now. Got the call from my accountant. And he said, "Mike, you have to declare bankruptcy." And what was weird is even though I saw my money evaporating, logically I could see it dwindling behaviorally or, or, or from a uh, emotional standpoint, I couldn't accept it. I thought that one big client would maybe leave you, Greg, and come to me. And, yeah. you know, and so that was my emotion. But this is the day I had to face the music. I came home to my family sobbing, ashamed because I had been lying to them by omission. Whenever my wife would say, how's things? I'm like, they're fine. They're great. I was, I was lying. And I came home and had to face my three children and my wife and tell them that we're about to lose our house, which we did, lose our possessions, most of it, which we did, and start anew. And uh, the, the, the real kind of knife to the, to the soul was I had to face my nine-year-old daughter who liked to go horseback riding once every two weeks for 
I think it was $20 for a group lesson. I said, I, I can't afford it. I'm so sorry, but you, you can't go. And as I'm crying, she's her, she wells up and she runs out of the room as fast as she can. And, uh, I, I understood the desire to run away from me because I was that disgusted with myself. Mm-hmm. I was so angry. And, uh, the thing was, she wasn't running away. She ran to her bedroom to get her piggy bank and she ran back to me and said, daddy, I'll become the provider for our family. And if I think about it too much, I'll really start. Wow. And, uh, it was in that moment, Greg, I just, that awoken me. And I, I'm so grateful for it today. I never wish that upon my worst enemy to live through that sickness, but it woke me up. And it wasn't like the next morning I woke up and said, Oh, I'm going to figure everything out. Um, I experienced depression for two years, highest level, self-diagnosed functional depression, uh, became a drinker. Like I was hitting the bottle a lot. I, I barely drink in the past. I barely drink now, but that phase it was, I used as medication mm-hmm. and, um, but through that period, small little awareness has started to pop open for short periods. Usually it was compressed chest and fear and, and, anxiety, but for moments, a little awareness would pop up. And, uh, I started to write down things that I think could fix my erroneous ways. I I came to realize I knew very little about entrepreneurship. I was just lucky, um, or maybe unlucky now in retrospect, but I was just lucky to have those successes, outward successes of financially. But I realized I didn't really understand money, the essence of it. I didn't know how to make a business strong and healthy from day one. And that became the impetus to write these books. Profit First specifically, I believed the formula that we've all been told is true, that sales minus expenses equals profit. I know, Greg, you've been told that. Everyone listening has been told that. It's written in thousands of books. It's taught in every college class. It's, it's taught everywhere. Our accountants live by sales minus expenses equals profit. Problem is, it's bullshit because <laughs> I found that the vast majority of businesses are not profitable. There was a, now this is through hearsay, there was a study conducted, I know the SBA was part of it, but I don't know the the original source, but I believe it inherently. 83% of small businesses are surviving check by check. Small business defined by the SBA is a company that does $25 million in annual revenue or less. And this study said that 83% of us are not in the position to pay our bills next month unless substantial sales come in immediately. We can't cover payroll or rent or let alone pay ourselves. That realization was I wasn't the only one struggling with profit was an eye opener for me. And um, my phone started to ring here. I'm going to turn that off. And I, uh, I awoken to this fact that this formula we've been following where we're told that profit comes last is a lie. Because behave- logically it makes sense. But behaviorally, when something comes last, we are saying it's insignificant. It's, it's, it's not important. What, what really is the truth is that profit needs to come first. Like I would never say if I got rushed to the hospital for a health scare, starting today, I'm going to put my health last. I would never say that. I say I put my health first. So when right. I do profit first, I flip the formula, sales minus profit equals expenses. Take your profit first, bake it into every transaction, and that becomes a game changer. And I, I, I love the formula. Obviously, it's, it's worked. But at that point in your life, it was just a hunch, right? Yeah, oh, yeah. It was a hunch. But, you know, I, I, I was desperate. So desperate people do desperate things. And I was like you're you skeptical. I, right. I'm like, you know, there's this pay yourself first principle that we're told to do in our lives. What if I put that in my business? I'm like, ah, but I'm like, if I don't do this, I, you know, it's funny. They say when you hit rock bottom, at least there's only one way to go, which is up. 
bullshit, bullshit. When you hit rock <laughs> bottom, you can somehow keep digging down and, and drag yourself along the bottom of the sea. So um, it, you can stay there. So I was desperate to find a solution, um, but all, and also very skeptical, but I had no other choice. Um, but then it started to work, almost like magic. Uh, I, and then I subsequently then learned why it works like magic. Mm -hmm. And that's when I started writing the book. Got it. Okay. That makes a, a lot of sense. And since then, uh, since the first version of the book, uh, do you know how roughly how many people this approach has been sort of adopted by? Yeah. Cause the nice thing is we, we track it. So we have over 3000 documented case studies, but we have, okay. we're aware of over a hundred thousand businesses that have implemented profit first. We think we're oh, approaching wow. 150,000. It's global. The, the book mm -hmm. has been translated into uh, many languages and so forth, but uh, it, it's over a hundred, probably just shy of 150,000 companies. Now, is this a, a model that um, you recommend for, for the person who is already in business and, and like needs to flip the script, sit down with their accountant, like figure out how to make this work? Or uh, is it better suited for the person just starting out who doesn't have a system, doesn't have these biases yet, and uh, can really implement it from day one? So the answer is yes and yes. It's, uh, <laughs> of course, you know, I'm surprised. But if, if anyone struggles with cash flow in an existing business, I wrote your book, I wrote this book specifically for them. Anyone that's okay. struggling with cash flow, this is an immediate fix. It's an extraordinarily simple system. Doesn't mean it's easy to implement, right? Because it's going to require a different perspective, but it's radically simple and it works with natural human behavior. The reason I think Profit First has been so successful is people that run businesses typically operate their business by taking shortcuts. When it comes to finances, often entrepreneurs don't review income statements or balance sheets or know how to read a cash flow statement. They don't know how to tie them in together. I, I don't, and I still don't, I never did, and I still don't. But we revert to bank balance accounting, you know, log into our phone, see if we or wherever our bank accounts are, see what, what money we have. And if we have money, we make spending decisions. If we don't, we make selling decisions. So Private First works with that system. You don't have to change a thing about yourself. It just channels that behavior to get the outcome you want, sustainable profits. Interestingly, as the book's popularity has grown, uh, startups are reaching out. I mean, brand new startups saying, I've heard about Profit First. I'm starting a brand new business. I'm putting in this from day one, those businesses, to your point, they don't know better. So, <laughs> so they start off with like, like these settings of high degrees of profit and so forth. But since they don't know better, the business very quickly adheres to it and starts achieving those numbers. So, so it was originally written for existing companies that are struggling to achieve profitability. Um, but I found it plays into both groups. Got it. So Mike, I want to be uh, respectful of your time here. We are approaching 29 oh, yeah. minutes. Are you cool going another five-ish? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm definitely up for five-ish. Perfect. So uh, let me ask you then uh, for that same group of people, because a lot of my listeners, uh, they are in the wellness space. They yeah. changed some aspect of their life and now they want to help others do the same. Yes. Um, and uh, they are, they're just starting out. They, they don't, they aren't typically entrepreneurs. They haven't um, uh, managed their money in that way uh, before. So let's say they decide, cool, I'm sold. I'm going to work uh, under the profit first system. The big issue that, uh, that they're going to still run into is, are they making sales or not? Yeah. Um, 
So, I mean, without the cash coming in, there's nothing to manage. Right. Uh, which of your books would you recommend for that person who just needs to figure out the bare basics? Like, how do I start this business? Yeah. So in that case, I'd read the pumpkin plan. Okay. Um, and so the pumpkin plan is about client cloning. Uh, it was designed for businesses that already have some client flow, but you could be very small. And the realization I had there was most businesses actually clone their worst clients. We all have that, like that total jack wad that we can't stand, but we're <laughs> desperate for their money. Uh, so we continue to work with them and they don't pay us on time. They were bitching and moaning all the time. And it seems that somehow we seem to clone those customers. I, I think we can rattle off two or three bad customers, but that exalted amazing customer for many companies, it's you know just one person or two people that we can think of those two ideal clients. So in the pumpkin plan, I teach, I explain why we actually clone our worst clients, but I teach a method to identify your best clients and how to find more people like them. Cause I believe for any business, and I don't care if you're a brand new startup or if you're, you know, Amazon, if you identify your biggest, best customers and start cloning them it has a radical impact on the health of your business. Yeah. And that makes perfect sense. Uh, you obviously enjoy doing the work more. You can create better results sure. for them. Um, and, and I'm assuming through this process of cloning, you can even replicate the process of getting them in the first place, right? Oh, that's the whole idea, right? So the cloning process is once you identify the avatar, that's not a term I use, but that's a popular mm -hmm. term. What represents your ideal customer is then we find what's called congregation points. Birds of a feather flock together. So once you know who your best customers are, where are they congregating? You know, are mm -hmm. they listening to certain podcasts? Are they going to certain associations or clubs? Uh, are they hanging out at the pool with their families? I, I don't know. But once you identify where that best customer is, we need to insert you there. That You concentrate your limited, very limited marketing time and money to those few small areas. But since mm -hmm. this is where the birds are flocking together, they started seeing you everywhere. Their perception is you are the authority because they see you everywhere. So that's right. Yeah. And then uh, something I've done in the past, uh, not really knowing it, is uh, those those best clients tend to know each other. And, and so are, yeah. when you're teeing up the next sale, uh, dropping that you also work with Sarah, that ends up helping uh, close the sale as, as well. Um, so where does, does, does clockwork fit into all of this? And, and what stage of the entrepreneur's journey should they be looking at that? Yeah. So I consider the third stage. I um, I've in my newest book, I'm translating Maslow's hierarchy of needs to an entrepreneurial hierarchy of needs. So Maslow argues there's... Oh, that's stages. amazing. Thank you. Uh, yeah. So Maslow says there's a base level need. And if it's not being addressed, we revert to it. The base level needs oxygen. Like if you and I are having a very interesting conversation, but if, uh, if, you know, if there's no oxygen in this room, conversation over, I'm gasping for air. Um, so oxygen is the base level. Sales is the equivalent of that. To your point, you know, if you have no inbound sales, don't worry about profit because you don't even have inbound cash flow. Right. Next, le next level up is profit. I consider that the nutrition for a business, the, the food. Um, sadly, many businesses are not profitable. They think the solution's sales, so they try to sell more. That's the equivalent of a business that's starving to death. It needs nutrition desperately, yet we're gasping for air to support that need. It'll never happen. So first, master sales that are sustainable, then you have to achieve a permanent profitability method. The next level up is the order of an organization. It's the efficiency. And that's why I wrote Clockwork. Clockwork is where we design our business to run without us. Unfortunately, or I should say not unfortunately, but many business owners 
carry the business on their back. It's the superhero syndrome. We swoop in, we fix problems, we save the day yet again. But the business has this ultra dependency upon us. Therefore, we become this conjoined twin. You know, if, if, if we have a problem, the business is having the exact same problem. As it goes, so do we and vice versa. So clockwork is about the separation. It's a very surgical process, just like conjoined twins. You very carefully separate the organs and so forth. But ultimately, we want to establish two independent lives. We pull the owner out of the operations of the business and the business runs on its own. And the beautiful thing is when you do success, successfully separate yourself from the business, while you're not, the business doesn't depend on you anymore, you will always share a soul. So your soul will always be there. And you are the owner of the business. You have the right to reinsert yourself in the business and what gives you joy. Got it. Uh, so the pumpkin plan, profit first, clockwork. Seems like if you pick up these three books, you have the formula for uh, giving yourself the tools to, to build a successful business. Uh, Mike, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for sharing your time and your wisdom with us. And thank you for, for owning the, uh, the title of author, because I, I can tell you uh, through personal experience, it is clear that you are, are positioning yourself to impact a lot of people. Um, so where can people learn more about you? Where can they pick up the books and tell us about the podcast? Oh, Thank you, Greg. So uh, yeah, if you're interested in learning more, I guess the Mecca for me is my website, Mike Michalowicz, um, as Greg showed earlier. That's the, that is, by the way, is the worst last name ever. Like I can't, I struggle. <laughs> I struggle spelling. So Mike Motorbike is the website to go to, mikemotorbike.com. Uh, the reason that's the website, by the way, is that was my nickname in high school. The irony here is I've never driven a motorcycle in my life. I have no oh. intention to, <laughs> but I uh, go to mikemotorbike.com. And on my site, you'll all my books are there. There's chapter downloads. I used to write for the Wall Street Journal. You can get those articles. I'm also a blogger and I'm a podcaster. Uh, and the podcast, um, it's called Entrepreneurship Elevated. And I truly am on a mission to eradicate entrepreneurial poverty. This, this outward perception the world thinks you have all this wealth and success and all this time. And the, the reality of our struggle where we have actually no money, uh, no time, and the stress we have. Uh, my intention is to close that gap to make that perceived reality of entrepreneurship your reality. And that's what we do through Entrepreneurship Elevated. And what days does it publish? Every Monday. Uh, Every Monday. Episode, yep. Perfect. So every Monday morning on your drive to work, tune into Entrepreneurship Elevated. Highly, highly recommend it. Uh, I'm definitely going to be a, a regular listener as well. So Mike, again, thank you so much for being here. And to the listener, thank you for your time. Thank you for uh, uh, choosing to learn from Mike today because it there's, there's so much here uh, for you to walk away with. And I highly recommend you pick up the books and start finally getting some control over your business. Remember to click subscribe wherever you consume this. Uh, follow me on Instagram and send a DM. I would love to have a longer conversation about this episode and just hear your thoughts, hear what you're struggling with and see what I can do to help that process. So find me on Instagram at Greg Clunis. And as always, remember that all big changes come from the tiny leaps you take every day. Every day.